Lord, I just thank you this morning for your grace. You are the faithful God, and if we're faithful, it's because of what you've done within us. And we acknowledge that today. And now my prayer today, Father, for each of us, is that you will create within us a disposition of heart. Create within us the habits of the heart that will bring honor and glory to you, especially in days where there may come before us great challenge. And that we will rise up in this hour of difficulty and challenge and represent you well in our society. That we will be your faithful servants doing your will, even in the most distressing and most difficult moments of life, that we will shine as stars in this galaxy, Lord, pointing people to the ultimate light, and that's you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn this morning to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just veer off Revelation for a little bit. I, I have a lot on my plate right now, uh, and I'm just trying to, you know, get caught up. If you've ever traveled great distances, you have a thing called jet lag. Uh, I'm experiencing that, so I'm trying to get over that as quickly as I possibly can. One of the things that struck me while we were in India is the tremendous persecution that's really intensifying, not only in India, but around the world. Last weekend, Patty and I were in Amsterdam, and one of the things we did on that weekend was go to the home of Corrie ten Boom. Now, some of you may recognize that name. She was a Dutch lady. Uh, her and her sister and father took Jewish people in in the midst of a German occupancy, and uh, they did that in a sense that was illegal at that moment, and they, je- they put themselves in jeopardy. Eventually, they were apprehended, not because they found Jews in their home, but because they found uh, extra ration food cards. And they knew that these guys were hiding Jews. And so they ended up sentencing them to prison. Her father died in prison. He was 84 years old. He just couldn't survive the rigors of prison. And her and her sister were sent into Germany, north of Berlin, to a concentration camp called Ravensbrück, where her sister Betsy passed away as well. And by an act of God's grace, Corey, who was supposed to be executed, was spared, and she survived the concentration camp, and after World War II went around Europe preaching God's message of forgiveness, especially to the German people who had, many of them committed these atrocities, not only to Jewish people, but to many people during World War II. Well, the next day, uh, Patty and I, and it was two other gals that stopped in Amsterdam with us, we went to the Dutch Resistance Museum. You have to understand something about me. I'm, I, I really like history. And I try to expose myself to all of these things. I love going to see these places. And I was really taken aback when I went to the Dutch Resistance Museum because they've designed the museum and they even have a children's section, but they kept raising question. And the question was simply this, would you resist, collaborate, or just accept, you know, when there's like an evil permeating the land? In other words, how are you going to respond to evil? And how many know that, you know, I'm not talking about German people as, a, as an ethnic group, but I'm talking about Nazism as a phenomena, as a political ideology that literally, you know, stripped people of an understanding of true humanity. And so the Dutch people were in this situation where they were occupied. And, uh, and one of the great challenges at that moment in their history, which saw both duplicity and heroic behavior, because 
in the museum, they kept taking incidences of different people's lives, people who totally accepted what was happening and just went along with it. And I was shocked that 90% of the Dutch people just went along with Nazi occupation. And I think primarily out of fear. Isn't that true? Fear was really driving their lives. And then there was about 5% who made a decision to collaborate with the Nazis so that they could get personal advantage in that situation. And then there was about 5% of the people who resisted, some even to the point of the loss of their lives, in resisting this ideology that was in their land. Now, what was really sad was, of the more than 140,000 Jewish people living in the Netherlands, over 90% died as a result of German occupancy in that land. You know, it's amazing what fear does to us. In contrast, the nation of Denmark which had a far smaller Jewish population, about 8,000 people that were Jewish living in Copenhagen, the Jewish nation, you know, decided to resist the Germans regarding the Jewish question. And they did so to such a degree that eventually Germany was upset with them. They went in and stripped them of their government and they were going to take the Jews out of the country. But the, but the Danish people worked together from government officials all the way through society, and 7,200 of the 8,000 Jews were assisted by the Danish people to flee to Sweden, and therefore their lives were spared because Sweden was a neutral country. And of the 500 people that the Germans actually sent to Germany, only 51 died because the Danish officials kept pestering and advocating on behalf of their citizens, even though they were of Jewish background. And so this nation demonstrated amazing moral courage in the midst of incredible evil in the land. So what I'm trying to bring out today is simply this, that moral courage is a virtue that God desires to develop in our lives. As a matter of fact, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but of power, love, and of a sound judgment or a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And we need to understand that because we are living in a day when evil seems to be ascending. How many recognize that? We see it in our own province with the bill of Bill 24 just passed, which I believe is trying to exploit the most vulnerable segment of our culture, which is namely our children. And thankfully, there are some people that are rising up and opposing this bill and actually challenging its constitutionality. And I say, go for it. And I pray that they will be successful to dethrone a bill that I believe is absolutely, fundamentally flawed and is evil. William Brown relates the value of virtue when he said, the element of character that has received the most attention in classical discussions is virtue. Now, he's writing about the Greeks And he says, virtue is a disposition that denotes the pattern of choices an individual or community makes. Now, I want you to notice that word. It's a disposition. It's something that has to happen within us. And it becomes habitual in nature. And this is what my prayer is, that you and I will have this disposition in our lives. That we will actually, even though by nature we may not be courageous, that the spirit of the living God could so work in our lives that moral courage would be a part of our spiritual DNA. That when evil arises, that we will not cow down and be intimidated by the evil that is happening. He goes on to say, disposition comprised 
persistent attitudes or habits that dispose one to a consistency of action and expression. How many think it's a beautiful definition of virtue? You know, basically a disposition that makes you and I become consistent in our behavior. In other words, we become faithful and we become courageous. And as a matter of fact, I was thinking of, you know, the book of Daniel when it says, they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. That text is really talking about resisting in a time of great evil. So the people who know God will be able to resist evil. And I believe that this is what God wants us to embrace. You know, while we were in India, Dr. Thomas was sharing with us that in the last week or two, 200 churches have been destroyed in surrounding states near where he lives in the northern part of India. 200 churches have been destroyed. And then an organization, this is not the government, but an organization has actually paid... They have a bounty out for pastors now so that if you kill a pastor, a Christian pastor, they will pay you so many, you know, rupees. So now they, they, they basically have, you know, wanted posters. And so their boast is that we've destroyed 200 church buildings. Our goal now is to kill 200 pastors. And so we need to understand that's just in India. Around the world, we see this evil that's continually growing and through through. Uh, the book of Revelation, I've been trying to share with you that the spirit of Antichrist has always been at work and it's been, there's been times of greater evil and lesser evil, but we recognize that we're living in an evil day and we understand that. And so what should our response be? Now, Dr. Howard J. Cruiser, he's a professor of ancient Greek philosophy at Tesco. Texas Tech says this, although courage is one of the few character traits which shows up on everyone's list of virtues. He's talking about the Greeks, the different writers. He's saying they all agree that uh, courage is a virtue. But he said, there's no agreement upon the nature and feature of courage. And so he says, even within the ancient world, we find substantial variation. For example, the Homeretic view of courage as a certain role in a social structure differs than, you know, Socrates' understanding of, of, of courage as a knowledge, which is different than Plato's understanding of courage as being something within the soul. And finally, Aristotelian or Aristotle's view that courage is a disposition to feel, choose, and act in a certain way. So in other words, they're all defining courage in a little different way, but they're all in agreement that courage is a virtue. And there's a need for courage, for moral courage has never been needed in in a more profound way as right now in our world. We need to be able as Christians to not allow the pressures of our culture to silence us and to squeeze us into its way of looking at life. We need to resist that and recognize that what God is saying is different than what our culture is saying. And we need to be able to stand up in a very gracious manner, you know, not being obnoxious about it, but we need to stand for what is true and what is right. Now, in the early moments of Israel's history as a nation, she had experienced some tremendous highs. I mean, you can imagine being delivered from, you know, slavery. Can you, can you imagine those miracles that were happening? You know, you, you look at that story in the book of Exodus and you go, how in the world could these guys so mess up in the wilderness with God doing all this stuff? But isn't it, <coughs> excuse me, true in our own lives that God can do some amazing things in our lives, but when we're put under pressure, sometimes we falter and fail. Isn't that true? You know, even though we know that we should be able to stand, sometimes we struggle with doing the right thing in light of how God is trying to explain things to us. And then in her early history, 
you know, she, she had this experience out of Egypt. And then we see kind of what I call the low point when she's struggling through the wilderness wanderings. I mean, going through a wilderness for 40 years was no piece of cake. That was a challenging time. And you know, sometimes I look at the wilderness wanderings and it's almost a picture of our own lives. You know, there are points in the wilderness where God's providing. There's points in the wilderness where God does miracles. But for the most part, you know, there's a lot of daily grind in the wilderness. Isn't that true? And I mean, there's a lot of difficulty. And we discover that as we live this earthly life. And in those 40 years, there were times of despair. There were times of dreariness. There were times of weariness. There were times of anticipation. God was making incredible promises. There were times when God seemed distant and uncaring. There were times when they were tested and they faltered and failed and God disciplined them. But it was also a time where God provided miraculously in the wilderness where God brought bread down from heaven. It was called manna. It was in the wilderness that God sent a cloud by day and a fire by night to show him his direction in spite of their rebellings and their murmurings. And sometimes we're like them. We wonder, you know, God, what are you doing in my life? Maybe I'm trying to understand what's happening. I believe God's trying to reveal himself to us as a loving father. He's trying to help us understand that he's committed to our spiritual growth and development. So that you and I fulfill his purposes for our lives. And God does have an end purpose in mind for each one of our lives. Unfortunately, sometimes this process gets short-circuited in our lives through our own self-centeredness or sometimes through our own fearfulness. We're just afraid. And I think that's a huge problem. Remember years ago reading this book, Hannah Harnard's book, Hind's Feet on High Places. And I love the name of her character, much afraid. And she had to overcome fear in her life in order to advance in the Christian life. And a lot of you in this room, you struggle with being fearful. And you don't step forward and you don't step out and you're just afraid to do things because you feel insufficient or inadequate. And I think the problem is we're looking at ourselves. You see, we got to look away from ourselves. We need to look to God. And recognize if God is leading us and calling us, then we need to step out and believe that God's ability in our lives is greater than our inabilities and our insufficiencies. As a matter of fact, Paul says this about his own ministry. Who is sufficient for these things? And Paul was boasting not in the things he had done in life, but the weaknesses that he had experienced in his own life. And he said, these are to bring greater glory to God, that even in spite of my limitations, God was able to do amazing things in our lives. And then we think of people like Elijah. You know, at the height of his ministry, he had successfully confronted the idolatry in the land, and yet we see him... Not too long after that great high, crawling under a bush, wanting to die. Remember that? He was challenged and threatened in his life. He had thrown in the towel. But God in his mercy brought him out of the wilderness and eventually back into ministry. And so now in the book of Joshua, we find God's word to a reluctant leader whose task seemed exciting and yet was quite formidable. What was the task? leading God's people out of the wilderness. And you know what's scary about it? Moses couldn't do it because God didn't allow Moses to do it because Moses had earlier failed. Now, can you imagine living under the shadow of Moses and Moses messed up? So Joshua's thinking, how am I supposed to pull this thing off, right? You can appreciate the level of being intimidated for the task that God was calling him to do. And, And then God was calling him to go in and possess 
a brand new land, and we know that it was not without obstacle, challenge, and difficulty. And I think sometimes in life we think, well, I'm a Christian, now it's going to get easier. And I'm going to say to you, that's the wrong way of looking at it. I think sometimes being a Christian is actually more difficult. You know, in some ways. Now, I think it's easier in some ways because, you know, before we're just doing our own thing and there's all kinds of consequences to that. But when we're walking with God and we're walking in faith and we're walking in the Spirit and we're walking in obedience, God is going to allow us to come up against challenges and difficulties and problems because he uses those things to develop stuff inside of us. And he also uses us to accomplish his will and purpose in our world. And so I want to look at three principles today that we're going to draw from in order to move us from fear to faith. How many say, you know, I probably need to learn something about moving from being a fearful person to a faith-filled person. I want to be a faithful person and not become someone who God says at the end, you know, I never knew you. You know, that would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? So let's take a look at these principles. And the first one is that we have to address the past. You know, I think a lot of us are stuck in yesterday. Because we're allowing what happened in yesterday to define our today and our tomorrow. We've never addressed some things in our soul and it keeps us there. And so I think a lot of people are paralyzed by the past. There's unforgiveness, there's bitterness, there's hurt, there's disappointment. Maybe there's failure. I've tried it. It didn't work. You, know, you follow what I'm saying? How many know Moses could have said, hey, I tried leading these Israelites out and it just didn't fly God. Remember when he's 40 years old and he killed an Egyptian? You know, he said, I, I, he could have said, hey, I, I, we've been here before. We've tried this thing. And God says, you know, but Moses, now that you're 40 years old or you're 80 years old, hopefully you've learned a few things. Uh, you know what? What you've learned now is that you can't do it. And I think once we get to that place where we, we, we're no longer wise in our own eyes, but we've been humbled by God and we learn to depend on God, God can now be, really begin to use our lives. And, you know, that's, you know, part of what God does to develop leaders is actually allow them to fail. And all of us in this room, we can talk about failures in our life. There's probably not one person in this room can sit down and say, I've done it all right. I've never made a mistake. I've never had a failure. No, we can all say, I can look back. I can list all kinds of failures in my life. But you know what happens when you're focused on your failures? Eventually you say, why try? Why, why even try? I just keep messing up. Why even give? But here's what I want to say to you. You know what? Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your past. Stop looking at your sins. Stop looking at your failures. You need to see something. God is greater than your limitations, than your sin, than your past. You need to see that God is far greater. Then we read the text here in Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses said, Moses, my servant, is dead. In other words, new chapter is going to begin in the life of the nation. There's a new beginning, Joshua. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. Now, the first thing we notice is God's timetable. God waited till Moses died. There was just, you know, a transitionary moment happening here. Here we see that Moses had to be removed from his post of leadership because well, he made a rash decision. And we read that in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. It says, On that same day the Lord told Moses, Go up unto the Abram range to Mount Nebo and Moab, across from Jericho, and view Canaan and the land I'm giving the Israelites as their own possession. God let them see the land. 
And then he said, there on that mountain that you have climbed, you will die and be gathered to your people just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I'm giving to the people of Israel. Wow. You know, that was pretty challenging. Moses, you know, was frustrated with the people and he made a mistake. And God said, okay, that's costing you. And we say, well, that's a pretty high standard. Can I just stop, stop here for a second? I think this generation has really lowered the standards. This generation feels like, you know, we're just dummying God down. We're just dummying Christianity. I think we've we got a new book out in this generation, no, Christianity for Dummies. You know, we, we just have rewritten the book. And let me try to explain what I mean by that. You know, we have, we've been so locked into our rights as a culture that we forgot that with every right, there's a corresponding responsibility and a duty. This culture does not talk about responsibilities and duties one iota. And because of it, you and I are suffering as a society because we don't have people stepping up and taking responsibilities and duties. How many say that's probably true? As a matter of fact, I would even suggest that part of our calling isn't so much that we're choosing what we're supposed to be doing, but that God chooses us because of a situation that's difficult to put us in a position of responsibility to do something for others. And that's part of our calling. It's not what I want, it's what God wants. And we have to lay down our agenda today and say, God, what do you want? And the moment we do that, God can begin to work in a very significant way in our lives. You know, they were camped in the past. Moses is dead. You know, there's two things that hold us back in the past. One is our failures. And you know what the other one is? Our successes. You know, that's problematic too because we want to repeat what happened that was positive in the past. We want to recapture the glory days. And can I just remind us that the glory days are never as great as we thought they were. It's a figment of our imagination. It's really the truth. Because in those moments, it was just as difficult as it is right now. We need to understand that. And so I love what Paul the Apostle says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and a straining forward to what is ahead. I want to challenge us this morning that you and I cannot keep looking back. Yes, we can learn from the past. We can gain from experiences. But we need to move forward in our lives. I love the story that John Claypool tells of how his grandfather addressed past blessings and the loss of past blessings. He said, years ago, a thunderstorm swept through southern Kentucky and it struck our farm where the Claypool forebearers had lived for six generations. And in the orchard, the wind blew over the old pear tree that had been, as everybody could remember, the one great tree that we all kind of rallied around as a family. He said... I grieved to lose the tree on which I had climbed as a boy and the fruit which had been eaten all of my life. So a neighbor came by one day. He said, Doc, I'm really sorry to see your pear tree blown down. Yeah, I'm sorry too. It was a real part of our past. What are you going to do about it? The neighbor said. Well, my grandfather, he said, pause for a moment. And then he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick the fruit and burn what's left. And that's the wise way to deal with many things in our past. We need to learn their lessons, enjoy their pleasures, and then go on with the present and the future. Amen? That's a good, that's, I thought that's a word of wisdom, and we need to take that, as, take that on. Well, what is, what is God trying to say to the nation here? He says, I'm going to give you every place where your foot steps. 
That tells me, keep walking, right? And, you know, years ago as a young pastor, I, and I was, you know, you're praying, you're saying, God, what are we supposed to be doing? And I felt God just take this passage and impress it on my spirit. And he says, what I'm going to do is going to be done incrementally and step by step. And, you know, you don't build a church from, you know, zero to 60 in so many seconds. You know, that's the way the culture thinks. You know, we're looking for instantaneously successful stories. But most of the great lives were built incrementally and through difficulty so that they can sustain what God gives them as a responsibility. And so that's exactly our story as a church family. We have done things in increments. So new beginnings, new opportunities only start as we put the past behind us. How many here you can honestly say, I, I'm a slave to my past? I'm a slave. I just keep focusing on what I could have done, what I should have done, what I would have done, what I could have done. How many? Come on, let's be honest. How many are going to, woulda, coulda, shoulda? All right. So here's what we're going to do today. For all of you that that's there, I want you to lay all that down. You cannot undo yesterday. Okay? Let's just drop that. What I'm going to challenge you to do is be the person God wants you to be today and you're going to define a new future from this day forward. You're going to put a stake in the ground and say from this day forward, I'm going to do exactly what God wants me to do. I'm going to get on God's page and allow God to work in my life to begin to change things in my life because I'm going to do things God's way. Amen? Yeah, amen. I think that can happen if we make that decision. Let me move on to the second principle, the acceptance of the presence. We need to be realistic and knowledge where we're at today. And one of the most encouraging things we can remind ourselves simply is that God is present. His presence is in our present. And I love the way the Bible describes it. It says, today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Why does God talk like that? Because you and I would go, it's tomorrow. You and I would say, well, that was yesterday. You know, that was the good old days, or that'll happen in the future. God says, no, it's in the now. I'm here today. You know, the miracles can happen in the now. But we have to open our hearts. We need to hear his voice in the moment. You and I have no guarantee of what tomorrow holds. You and I need to be faithful in this moment. Let's let God work in our moments. Listen to the promise God gave Joshua, verse 1-5. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. As I was with the apostle Paul, so I will be with you. As I was with all of these other biblical characters, God is saying, so I will be with you. Those guys are gone. God needs a new people. This is the hour. Let's get it in our heads. It's not about how great we are. It's how great he is. Amen. You know, we can live with confidence in the presence because God is with us. Look at verse 6. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you till the end of the age. Hey, wherever we go, God goes. Isn't that awesome? God's with us. If God before you, Who can be against you? Hey, God is before us. God is behind us. He's on our side. He's covering our backs, folks. I love it. We're in a little cocoon. God's encircling us. God's encircling us. He's encircling your life. He's with you. You know why they could be sustained in the wilderness? 
because God was with them. There's no way that many people could have survived 40 years in the wilderness if God wasn't with them. And I want to just say this, God will be with you every day of your life. It doesn't matter how young, how old you are. I want to just declare to you right now, God will be with you every single day. I love what David said, I was once young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. Hallelujah. God says, I'm going to take care of you every single day of your life. You don't have to worry. Our whole culture is built on anxiety. Have you noticed that? You know, we're so hung up about what's going to happen tomorrow. Can God take care of you today? Can God take care of you tomorrow? Of course he can. He's God. And we need to know that. And then I think we need to have the proper mental attitude. Joshua was urged to be strong and courageous. Look at verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Uh, You don't tell people that unless you, you feel weak and very discouraged. Anybody here say, I feel weak and discouraged, Pastor? Anybody feel that way? Well, you know, here's God's word to you. Be strong. Be courageous. Be very courageous. You go, wow, how can I be like that? God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I love it. You know, the real battle that's happening is happening in our minds. That's where the whole battle is being fought. Your whole battle for your whole life is going to happen between your ears. It's going to happen in your mind. Listen to what the scriptures teach. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on God. So let me ask you a question. Where is your mind today? Well, pastor, I've got all these problems. And what are you doing about it? You're meditating on your problems. How many here say, you know, pastor, I am meditating on my problems. Let's be honest. I've got these issues and I'm thinking about it and I can't get it out of my mind. Anybody here like that? Come on, let's be honest. All these hands are going up. Okay. Here's, here's my little word of advice to you from the scriptures. Stop thinking about your problems. Yeah, but pastor, how are we going to solve them? You know what? Let me ask a question. How many know that worry will never solve a problem? How many know that anxiety will never solve a problem? How many know that until you come to a place of perfect peace in your innermost being, that's when the answers start coming? So I'm going to challenge you right now. Stop being problem-centered and start becoming God-centered. I want you to focus in on what Paul tells us to do in Philippians chapter 4. He says, whatever things are good, pure, lovely, think on these things. I want you to make a, put a stake in the ground today. Say, Lord, forgive me. I am problem-centered. That's your prayer right now. Lord, forgive me. I am problem-centered. I'm worrying about my finances. I'm worrying about my future. I'm worrying about my kids. I'm worrying what's going to happen in my old age. I'm worrying about if I can get a job. I'm worrying about my career. I'm worrying about my spouse. I'm worrying about this. Come on, let's be honest. Put a stake in the ground and say, Lord, deliver me from worry. Lord, help me to have a peace in my heart. Help me to start focusing in on how great you are. Help me to think about how marvelous you are, how, how awesome, how, how amazing you are, how good you are. You know, that there's nothing too hard for you. I'm going to get my mind locked in. I'm going to start meditating on the awesomeness and the greatness of Almighty God. I'm going to start looking up scriptures that talk about God's faithfulness. How, how, can, how can you become worried about your future when you're meditating on God's goodness and on God's faithfulness? How can that happen? It can't. You've got to shift gears. You've got to start thinking in the right way. 
You know, David Brooks is a journalist. He brings up this concept by Aristotle. He says, if you act well, eventually you'll be good. Change your behavior and eventually you would rewire your brain. That's an interesting thought. You know, it's kind of how repentance works. First of all, I'm going to just say this. If you change your thinking, it will lead to a change of behavior. And if it leads to a change of behavior, it's going to start changing how your mind works. I'm going to argue right now that your chemicals will start changing. Did you just hear what I said? You're going to actually get happy. You're going to change the chemicals in your brain. Just listen to what I'm going to say. Listen to what Paul says. He says it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And you know what? That's what's happening in a lot of Christians' lives. We're just being conformed to the pattern of this world. We're starting to buy into the lies of the enemy. We're buying into what society is saying. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What is he saying? He's saying just give yourself to God. Just give yourself to God. Wow. What are some of the fears, the insecurities that dog your steps? See them for what they are. They're inhibitors to future success. Fear only paralyzes people. We can be afraid to be different. We can be afraid to step out. You know, I was sitting in a, in a room the other night and someone shared, you know, it's so hard to be a young person today, pastor, because this is how people think. Well, why do we have to fit in? You know, it's so funny. Everybody today talks about, you know, being their own person. Hey, just try being God's person. And you won't fit into all the rest of where culture's at. But I'll tell you what, you can be secure. You don't have to be insecure. You don't have to be argumentative, obnoxious about it. You can have, you have a peace about it. You can stand up and do what's right. You can say, you know what, I don't buy that argument. When people start saying something, you can confront that and say, hey, you know what, that's, a, that's, that's one way of looking at it, but it's a totally different way of looking at it. And this is how I see it. And begin to share your point of view. You'd be surprised. A lot of people just don't think. They're in a box. They're just saying the language of the day. They're just parroting what society's saying. They don't even know if they believe it or not. They're just parroting it. They've never been challenged in it. Okay. I think we need to cry out to God in order to rise above our doubts and our moments of despair. It's as we see Jesus in the storms that we recognize he cares. You know, think about, you know, here, here, here was, you know, what, what is moral courage all about? Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. What does he do? He got out of the boat. How many of you that's amazing? He said, hey, Jesus, if you can do it, can I do it? He said, absolutely, Peter. He jumps out of the boat and starts walking on the water. Of course, all the negative people say, yeah, but pastor, he began sinking. Yeah, but why did he begin sinking? He started looking at the storm and the winds, and he's going, what in the world am I doing? What business do I have being out of the boat, right? But if he'd have kept his eyes on Jesus, he'd have been fine. Peter's pretty smart, though. As he starts sinking, what does he say? Lord, help me. Jesus just pulls him out of the water. You know, and I want to just point out something. He had to walk back to the boat. So Peter is a water walker. He's behaving like God, right? He walked back to the boat. That's pretty impressive, folks. Isn't that? How many say, you know what? I want to get out of the boat. I want to walk on the water. I want to walk with Jesus. 
You know, where were the rest of the other disciples? They were in the boat. That's right. And I, I imagine they had a few critical remarks. Who does Peter think he is? I mean, they were all making comments. The moment you get out of the boat, believe me, you're, you're like where nobody else is. You're, you're walking with Jesus. That's a scary place sometimes, but it's a fun place. Let me move on to the third principle. <coughs> Excuse me. How are we going to address our future? God was calling Joshua to make some key commitments that day that would impact his future in a positive and in a very successful way. He's going to move now from fear to faith. I believe that the commitments we make today impact what our tomorrow will be like. How many here say, you know what, I want to establish some things in my life. I want to make some decisions. I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to create some habits that are going to redefine my disposition, my attitude, and what's going to happen in my future. Let's take a look at, there's four things I want you to notice that he committed himself to. Number one, do what the good book says. How many know obedience is critical? Look at verse seven. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law. In other words, if God says it, do it. All the law my servant Moses gave you, do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Joshua was challenged to do the word of God. Okay, well, that's a good one. Obey God's word. Number two, change our words. That only happens when we change our attitude in our hearts, right? But look at verse 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. I cannot speak what God's word is unless I know what it is. You see, God wants us to so internalize his word that when we talk, we're actually speaking we're, we, we've, we've assimilated. We can say it back. It doesn't have to be quoted. We, we're not, you know, you don't just push somebody and all of a sudden verses pop out. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we're eating the word of God and what happens is we've internalized it and what we're saying reflects the principles of the word of God. It, it's, it's demonstrating that what we are saying comes from an understanding of God's word. You know, I learned a long time ago that my words bring life and death. Is that true? I'm studying Proverbs right now. In the power of the tongue is life and death. And every day when you and I talk, our words are either condemning us or acquitting us. Our words are either bringing encouragement to people or bringing discouragement to people. I mean, that's true. So we have to be a little careful what we're saying. You got to think about what we're saying to people. You know, a lot of times we're just talking. We don't even know what we're saying. In the multitude of words, there's no lack of sin. So we got to be a little more thoughtful before we talk, right? Yeah, I, I learned a long time ago, my, my unbelief will never bless anybody. So if I'm full of doubt, keep my mouth shut. That's a good lesson. Just keep my mouth shut. But I've noticed one thing. My faith brings hope and blessing to other people. So I need to speak those words. So I've got to be more careful in what I'm saying. I'm actually doing a thesis right now on communication from the book of Proverbs. Is it powerful? Boy, I'll tell you, it is extremely powerful. 
we need to understand the power of our mouth. Then we have to diligently ponder, consider the word of God in order to act on. In other words, if I don't even know what it's about, you know, how am I going to, how is this going to impact my life? Look at verse 8. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. Then you will move from fear to faith. Meditate on it. Wow. You know, it's interesting. We, we have a prayer time before our service here. Different men join me for prayer. One of the guys said, you know, Pastor, I can honestly say that what I get out of my prayer, of my devotional time reading the Word, isn't so much that I get a bunch of things. But what I notice is it's giving me discernment. And so when I'm in my culture, I'm noticing that's not right. You know, the Word of God is like a plumb line. It's actually helping us be able to discern what people are saying. And then I don't become like a little infant tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. There's a lot of garbage out there. And I'm going to shock you. A lot of Christians say a lot of garbage. And a lot of books say a lot of garbage. There's a lot of unhealthy theology in this generation. I'm being honest with you. You and I need to know what the Word of God says. And we need to know it for ourselves. We don't just trust other people. We have to really get in there and dig for ourselves and really understand it and really question everybody that's teaching, including your pastor. You should be evaluating what is being said and said, does that line up to this book? It better, right? Yeah. And the last one is we have to apply it. You know... Be careful to do everything written therein. You know what the saddest part is? When we know it in our heads, but we're not doing it. Okay? We're fooling ourselves. James talks about it. He says, you're like a, a man who looks at himself in the mirror, but when you leave, you forget what you look like. What good was the mirror? Had no value to you. The Bible is a mirror. It's designed for you and I to read it, look at it, and see ourselves in it and say, ouch. Or, yeah, right on. In other words, it's a corrective. And if I'm daily reading my Bible, God can really correct me. And, you know, when we're deviating, and by the way, all of us have a tendency and a propensity to deviate. We actually need God's word to keep realigning us to the truth. Okay? And that's the value of it. And when I read it and I think about it, I'm meditating on it, and, and you know, I, I actually journal and I'm writing thoughts down, and I'm thinking about these things during the day. And we're supposed to be thinking on this day and night. We're, we're, our focus is not the news. Some of you are news junkies, and you're very pessimistic because it's always bad news. And if that's you, I would say stop watching the news for 30 days and give yourself 30 days of Bible reading, and your attitude will change. Just like that. It's amazing what will happen. It'll be the good news. And you'll begin to see things differently. You know what I notice? These guys say the same things over and over again. There's probably a few stories once in a while that are interesting. For the most part, it's just recirculation of bad news. That's all it is. Anybody notice that? Man, these guys just run this thing. It's like, you know, it's their job, right? But think about what the Word of God does. It changes us. You know, it's sad that at a Gallup poll in 1990 in the U.S. And they looked at the religious life in America and they said one-third of Americans profess to be born-again Christians. One-third. 
However, they, they found out in the survey there was very little behavioral difference between Christians and non-Christians. So what that tells me is these people were just confessing something, but it, they weren't possessing it. They weren't letting the word of God change their lives. You know, so I can sit in church every Sunday and I can say I'm a Christian, but if I don't get the word of God in me and I'm not applying it to my life, I am staying at a very immature level. And so when I look at North America today, what I see is a lot of people who say they're Christians, but they're really not very spiritual. They're, they're, they're babies. And they don't grow up. And I don't want that for you. You know, some of you, you know, you listen to these sermons that I'm preaching on Sunday. You go, oh, you're a pastor, you're a teacher. Do you know how important the gift of teaching is? When you study the Bible very carefully, you'll find out teaching is one of the highest gifts in the church because it takes time to develop an understanding of the scriptures well enough to be able to teach others. That's the truth. Matter of fact, Paul, the apostle, says, I'm a herald, I'm an apostle, and I'm a teacher. Wow, he puts teaching there. Yeah, because he knows how important teaching is. And if you don't have good teaching, you're not going to grow up. You know, you'll still be a baby. And a lot of Christians, you know, I want to go where they say things that make me feel good. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say things that I think you need to hear. I want to prepare you for the future because if an evil hour comes, I want you to stand and not capitulate and become crushed by the evil in the world around you. I want you to be strong in the Lord. I want you to be courageous. Because we're living in a day when evil is ascending and I'm going to tell you something, the majority of people in this world are going to succumb to the evil. How do you know that? I've read the book of Revelation. And you know what? I think a lot of Christians are just hoping we're going to pop out of the planet before all this happens. And I'm trying to show you that might not be what's going to happen at all. As a matter of fact, you need to begin to prepare your soul for what could happen. Because when I read the book of Revelation, I read about martyrs in there too. Anybody read that? Yeah. Let's, let's become a little more realistic. Yeah, we're blessed in the West to some degree. But that day is changing. And we need to become morally strong. Amen? Let's stand. For some of us this morning, you have to deal with your past. Only, only you and God know. Only you and God know where you're camped today. If your past is defining your life, you need to say, God, I'm going to let it go because I want to be living in the moment with you. Amen? Some of you say, you know, I'm so afraid, Pastor. I got, I'm worried, I'm fearful. I want to just say that it's a sin. It's flat out wrong. You're never going to get better if you camp there in your head. You need to say, Father, forgive me for being so anxious and fearful. Help me to set my mind on you. I want to be the kind of Christian that meditates on your word day and night. Well, I'm so busy, Pastor. Then you're too busy. Give me your day timer. I'll find time for you. It's there. I've got all these demands. Can I tell you the busiest people have learned the secret of being disciplined. You need to get self-management, self-control in your life. That's a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. 
You need to discipline yourself every day to spend time in God's presence and in his word and that you're meditating on that word and not just because you're going through the motion. Yeah, I did my devotion today. Check the box off. No, I'm looking to meditate on something today from this word. I want to think about it today. I'm going to ask God to help me to put this truth into practice in my life. I want a change of disposition. I want to be strong in you, Lord. And you know, I found, and this amazes me every single day as I meditate on God's word. During that day, somewhere in that day, I find myself saying the thing that God spoke to me that morning. That I saw in the word of God. Some concept, I'll use that during the day. I'm internalizing it. And it just happens to be the right word because God knows what my day is going to hold. And he gives me food, not only to feed my soul, but to also share it with other people. Because that's my heart. I want to help others. But I can't help one single soul if I'm not helped myself. You know, if we're weak, we can't help anybody else. We have to become strong. And so God spoke to Joshua. He said, you got to be strong, Joshua. You cannot look at and be intimidated by Moses. He's gone now. You're the leader. you got to step up. And a lot of us in this room, we have made all kinds of excuses for ourselves. And God says, that day is over. you got to stop making excuses for yourself and say, I've got to step up. And I've got to take responsibility to grow as a person so that I will be strong enough in the hours to come that when evil comes my way, I will be standing while many others are capitulating. How many want to be strong? Amen? Let's open our hearts to God this morning. Let me pray with us. I want God to do such a sweeping work in our congregation. I want this church to stand out. I want this church to be one that has amazing moral courage, that we're in a community together and we're just not going to let evil reign on our watch. We're going to stand strong in this hour. We're going to stand up. We're going to speak up. We're going to be strong. We're going to make people around us accountable because our lives are light in the midst of darkness. Amen? And so, Father, that's my prayer this morning, that of my brothers and sisters, that we'll stand strong. That we'll not live in fear, we'll not live in worry, we'll not live in anxiety. We lay down these burdens to you. Our minds are fixed on you, Father. And you said you would keep us in perfect peace if we would be focused in on you. I pray today, help us to do that. I pray today every burden would be cast down at your feet. I pray that we would not live in fear, but that we would live in faith. And no matter what comes our way this week, we would find ourselves being strong. We would find ourselves with an inner disposition to do the right thing. Even though others around us may be doing what's wrong, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to set the pace. We're going to be the pace runners in our society. We're going to be the leaders in this culture because we are morally courageous. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.